What's up, guys? This is Jared Graybill, and you're listening to the Live Well, Lead Well podcast. Hey guys, this is Jared Graveville with the Live Well, Lead Well podcast, and you're about to watch the second episode of the show where we cover the topic of nutrition as it pertains to mental health. Now, for those of you that don't know, May is Mental Health Awareness Month, um, and throughout that month, we really wanted to drive this topic home. This is actually something I was blessed with the opportunity to talk about from the TEDx stage last month, and hopefully in a few months, you'll be able to view that on YouTube. But for this particular episode, we were able to bring on Sammy and Lauren from the Dietitians of Palm Valley, as well as Eleni Shecklin from Beaches Mental Health. She's a licensed clinical social worker, and we cover topics that range from postpartum depression to how to surround yourself with the right people to influence the right diet, all the way to um, eating disorders and how to combat those as well. So we are really excited for this episode and we hope that you enjoy it. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to leave those. And if you'd like their information, they're going to be in the description of the post. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have an awesome day. So we are good to go. Um, if we want to just do a little bit of an intro, I am only here to facilitate this. So <laughs> I'm Lainey. I'm the creative director with Super Fit Foods. You will not be hearing much from me, but um, we'll go ahead and just go around the table. Awesome. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Cool, so I'll go first. Um, my name is Lauren Smith. Um, I'm a dietitian with Dietitians of Palm Valley. Um, I work alongside Sammy, who's our co-owner. And so um, kind of my background again, I went to Florida State University for my undergrad, um, majored in dietetics. And then after that, um, I went up to Boston um, and did my master's up there in nutrition, clinical nutrition um, at Boston University. Um, and that's where I did my master's and my dietetic internship. Awesome. Glad to have you. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you for having us. My name is Sammy, um, and I'm one of the co-owners of Dietitians of Home Valley. Uh, I went to Penn State for my undergrad degree in nutrition and then finished up at Pittsburgh for my dietetic internship. Um, worked in supermarket retail dietetics for a couple years, Ooh. so it's a little different, um, but working with people with grocery store tours um, and how to eat for specific diet types and medical conditions, and then moved down here and partnered with Mindy Black, who is our other co-owner, um, and she's the registered dietitian for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Awesome. Hey, go Jags. Yeah, go Jags. <laughs> I'm Eleni Shucklin. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I went to Florida State undergrad, go Knowles, <laughs> and um, NYU for grad school to get my master's in social work, and I stayed up in New York and worked um, and an inpatient hospital unit for eating disorders. And then when I moved back here to Florida, I opened my own private practice and I specialize in treating eating disorders, eating issues, and um, postpartum. Awesome. Yeah. And what is the name of your practice here again? Beaches Mental Health. Beaches Mental Health. Awesome. 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 So um, my name is Jared Grabiel and I'm the CEO. Should I be looking over there? That's where I'm like, I'm like, where are we like, 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 Oh my God. <laughs> them some love too. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, because you guys know who I am. Yeah. I'm the CEO of Superfit Foods <laughs> and um, the host of this podcast and this YouTube channel. And uh, I'm blessed to be able to work with Lainey, our creative director, every single day. And I'm super stoked to have you guys on this show or this conversation um, about mental health. And so for the viewers, uh, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And since we started Superfit Foods, we've tried to make, um, obviously, as our uh, engagement or our impressions have grown we've tried to make a bigger deal out of that and try to educate people through our social media platforms our blogs that we issue and and even more so now that we get we get to grow um, through a YouTube channel and a podcast so today's conversation is going to be all about mental health awareness and how nutrition um, can really tie into that from from every uh, mental illness um, that we can cover today and so we've got some questions prepared um, and then of course we just want to have a conversation and really educate our viewers um, because I think it's going to impact a lot of people because you guys know really more than I do firsthand that um, nutrition has a, a major impact in, uh, in our mental health and how we can avoid or even fight a lot of things even later on in life um, that, we, that we deal with on a regular basis and even more so now probably with technology and social media and kind of the, Sorry. <laughs> the you know, how, how that can impact lives. So, um, so my first question is uh, you know with medical ed education it's traditionally excluded nutrition knowledge 
um, for example, like doctors, medical doctors and things of that nature. Um, and they, they exclude a lot of the, the information with nutrition as it relates to disease. So very few doctors have a proper understanding of how to diagnose nutrition um, recommendations. Mm -hmm. And so it's left in the hands of the dietitians and nutrition professionals to do so. Um, so with that being said, what are your opinions on how the educational system works and how they prepare doctors for that type of, like, do you think it should always be in the hands of the dietitians or do you think that doctors at some level should be like educated in that area of nutrition so they can treat their patients as well? That is a loaded question. That's a so, wonderful question. Really it simple. is a wonderful yeah. question. So I'm a little biased. So I'm actually dating a medical student who's a third year going on fourth year. And so at you. his medical school, he, <laughs> um, at his medical Four. school, they actually get a full two weeks intensive education on nutrition. Awesome. However, that doesn't mean all medical students take it seriously, yeah. nor will implement that in their practice or their specialty. But I mean, Sammy has tons of stories with kind yeah. of how doctors have kind of influenced um, the outcome of her patients yeah. and um, clients' success. I think that, to be honest, like for what we go to school for, like it's nutrition, right? And that's what we specialize in. Just like I would never want to overstep a doctor's boundaries or a therapist. or So I think building a referral system and knowing who the expert is is so valuable. We have many doctors and surgeons and PTs and and social workers and people that we have a referral basis with and that just creates that nice multidisciplinary team mm -hmm. that everybody can be a part of and kind of use what they specialize their practice in. Um, so that that's where I hope to see most physicians going because I always say I should write a book on what I hear, what some doctors tell my clients to do. You know, exclude entire food groups, never eat bananas. Like yeah. I could just go on and on about this crazy stuff <laughs> yeah. I hear and talk about mental health if your physician's telling you something and that's who your trusted source is, well, that wires our brain a certain way to believe something. And then now we're having to disprove something. So, yeah, because they have starts. a lot of influence. Yeah. yeah. So, I think it starts there, um, you know, because mental health isn't all with nutrition, it's not always anorexia or bulimia or some of these diagnosed clinical, you know, things. It could be as simple as just disordered eating behaviors that yeah. come from false information. Yeah. So I think building a referral process would be a, a great place to start. Yeah, and a quicker fix yeah. than changing the Because they don't have time. And yeah, and they don't have time yeah. to to sit there and do a diet recall and talk to their clients and learn all of that. Like yeah. they, you know, they go to school. They have specializations. Yeah. yeah, fair enough. Especially with nutrition, um, we take the stance where nutrition is so individualized, like no one's nutritional needs are exactly the same. So when you throw this blanket statement of what type of diet you should be on, like, oh, you have to be ketogenic because that's what's healthy, yep. then your client and or your patient, and you don't know their background, their disordered eating habits or anything, yeah, and you're sure. just throwing on this diet and they're, they're gonna fail. You're setting them up for failure by just giving this blanket statement of what they should be doing yeah. for sure yeah and so it might the, not work for them too and so the best the solution is yeah. relationships yes so every doctor should have a healthy relationship like with a local that. dietitian yeah. I love that. Yes. And a therapist. And a therapist. I think we're all educating yeah. each other because this also yeah. starts, you know, even in pediatrics when doctors are telling young kids to eat or not eat certain foods. I mean, mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many times I sit down with teenagers and they tell me they remember these conversations. So I think part of what we do is educating all of the professionals in the field about diet, nutrition, mental mm -hmm. health, and how all of these things start even at a young age. Yeah. And it's not even just about knowing what or when to eat. It's also about the relationship and also the behavior change, too. Like, I joke that, yes, I know a lot about nutrition, but, like, we're the behavior change specialists mm -hmm. because we're yeah. like, people know what to do when they walk into our office, but they don't know how to do it. Right. Um, and so that's kind of where the gap is. And I know you probably work a lot with that with eating disorders because your patient might know what they need to do, but they can't because of their thought patterns. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's certainly where Jared comes in, too, mm -hmm. and what, what we try to do with superfood is make it easy yeah. for yeah. for you know dietitians and for therapists to say hey you need this quantity of meal per day you need this nutritional yeah. value and for them to be able to submit it to our team and Jared be like okay we can take care of this yeah. and then just deliver it directly to them and take the the prep the, yeah, the, the prep and the pressure yeah. of having to go to a grocery yeah. store and the temptation of all the other you know, available perhaps it's like sweets right. or, or poor choices you know so that's I mean, that's what you try to do. Yeah. And, it, well, you know, I used to train before I started Super Fit Foods. And um, my passion was always just trying to encompass, like, everything that I can – because I always 
thought that a lot of trainers and most professionals in the fitness industry do a lot of things wrong. Mm -hmm. And so I became nutrition special. You know, I have a NASM certified nutrition specialization, which doesn't give me the, the power to uh, prescribe diets, but it, it empowers me with the knowledge to help a lot of people. And then I went on to get a behavioral change specialization. So I get, you know, a percentage of what you do because a lot of what we do as trainers is like um, changing their behavioral patterns. It's not so much like here's a workout because you can Google what to do to build yeah. like your legs and your butt or whatever. You know what I mean? Like my job as a trainer was to get these people to, to learn like carbs are okay. You know what I mean? And like stop thinking that they're the devil. And like, and, and you know, having fun on the weekends is still okay if you want to change your life for the better. And so, like, the behaviors was a big deal. Um, and so, like, because, of course, I wasn't a doctor or, in, you know, a dietitian or anything like that. I just, and I didn't know a lot of those great people. I just was like, I need to learn as much as I can myself so I can, like, cover all these bases. But fortunately, now I get to step awesome. back and run a food company yeah. and have people like you that I can <laughs> send them to, yeah. you know. Um, so, uh, my second question is... Um, because I really want to get into the because when people think mental illness um, or mental health a lot of times people have life experiences where they go straight to a certain thing um, and they forget about all the other ones so we're gonna cover a lot of those things but my second question is um, how can a change in diet impact mental degeneration diseases like Alzheimer's and dementia also a loaded question <laughs> um, so I mean I think there's a very fine line there there's, I will say this from the bat, there is no perfect diet, and if there was, wouldn't the diet industry kind of hold on to that, and that would be yeah. the, the solution for everyone, right? Um, but in terms of impacting your health, um, we're finding that your genetics, um, your race, your ethnicity, your your dieting history all impact what type of diet would be good for you. Um, definitely with Alzheimer's, you know, things like a lower carbohydrate diet, emphasizing a lot of fruits and vegetables has what we've seen to be somewhat better. But um, the biggest thing with any dietary pattern, um, or even like the Mediterranean diet, that's another one I could mention. But with all dietary patterns, um, it's more about the pattern. And I emphasize the pattern aspect of it because it's not just, you know, what you eat in one day affecting you. It's about the whole kind of culmination of your diet um, and having that overall balance. Um, we're finding, you know, if you're really restrictive on either end with, with whatever nutrient or, um, you know, eating too many sweets or not eating any, um, this restriction and this kind of restrict binge cycle is where most people get into trouble with their health. Um, okay. Not so much, um, like you have to follow one type of pattern of eating. So have you seen, um, I guess in those degenerative disease, is there any consistent deficiencies you see? For example, like, is there a tie to lack of magnesium and people that have dementia you know yeah, what I mean like yeah so a huge thing we're seeing is this anti-inflammatory diet and so things like the Mediterranean diet um, and just an overall balanced diet emphasizing um, non-starchy vegetables fruits that have these things called phytonutrients in them mm -hmm. they're basically the anti-inflammatory compounds um, or things like we think of fish like the fatty fish like salmon um, those foods emphasizing them in our diet will displace some of those other um, inflammatory foods in our diet um, um, which are all associated with our brain functioning and just staying healthy. Um, so I would say like the omega-3 fatty acids and um, all these like antioxidant type foods are really what we're linking to brain health and just overall health, honestly. Yeah. 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 I'm sure a lot of the answers will probably be similar to yeah. dealing with depression could be similar to dealing with on the nutrition side, de dealing with like dementia and stuff like that. Yeah. But we're um, finding like supplementing with um, like omega-3 fatty acids to be helpful with treating depression and treating a lot of different illnesses. Yeah, yeah and that's kind of like my next um, one that I wanted to lead into is um, jumping from, and I don't want to like generalize those two things being like an elderly thing, but obviously dementia and Alzheimer's is more popular in the elderly populations. But going to young people, um, and this is something that like I really imagine you'll chime in on, um, what can young people do to avoid uh, common health mental health issues like depression and anxiety um, now to avoid potentially dealing with those things later on? Well, I mean, as far as depression and anxiety, I mean, I don't think that there's, you know, one particular diet that you would follow that would, you know, avoid that happening. But certainly if you're struggling with any of those issues, you want to make sure that your diet is appropriate and that, you know, if you're struggling with any eating issues that you seek professional help to make sure that you are getting what you need. Because we all know how we feel if we miss lunch one day or we wait too long to eat. We're just not able to regulate our emotions. We get really frustrated. Um, so you can imagine if someone's already struggling with feeling anxious or sad that it's 
that's going to be worse if they're not eating adequately. Right. So mm-hmm. that's going to be priority for them in addition to getting a professional to help. Yeah. Do you see a lot of times, um, and just, just in my imagination, uh, I would Im- think that things like anorexia could easily lead to things like depression because of the nutrition component. For example, you start with having anorexia because of image um, problems, high school, social media, all that stuff that kind of can have a lot to do with that. And then you don't eat properly. So the lack of glycogen and Mm -hmm. the lack of sources of nutrients to your brain and to your body leads to depression because now your body can't fight those. You don't have serotonin or proper endorphins. You're not active, things like that. So do you, in your profession, see people that come from anorexia leads to depression and then kind of I guess the first question would be, do you see that often? Yes, I see a combination of both, certainly. I mean, we do know that there's a genetic component to eating disorders as well, so there's that piece. But, you know, sometimes people may have an underlying depression that they've been struggling with for a long time, and this has kind of cycled into more disordered eating and maybe eventually to something like anorexia. Um, But one of the first things that we have to do is, in addition to working together with our dietitians and our doctors um, and anyone else that they have in support in their life, is to feed their brain. Because Mm -hmm. you're right, their brain isn't getting the nutrients that it needs to think clearly and to make decisions that they need to make every day. Um, so priority number one is feeding the brain. Yeah. 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 And so it's like a it's like a negative cycle yeah. that just feeds itself. Like you don't eat and then you get depression and then potentially anorexia and then you yeah. don't eat and so it's hard to get out of that cycle yeah mm-hmm. yeah when clients um, come in kind of suffering with those issues I like facts are often really helpful right so like 300 to 400 calories every day are just supplied to your brain and so think about if you're really restricting your calories and you're not getting that energy um, and we think calories as this really negative word but calories are really just a form of energy that our body needs it's a non-negotiable thing we need every mm-hmm. day um, so if we're not having that of course we're not thinking clearly and also the whole rest of your body won't be able to function as optimally as well um, thinking about like enzymes for digestion you know if you don't have a lot of protein in your diet and you're restricting a lot of energy in your diet mm-hmm. you're not going to have the enzymes to digest the food that you are eating um, so it's kind of a, a cycle and it kind of can perpetuate yeah I think to piggyback off of that too a lot of times when we look from like an eating standpoint people think they have to be anorexic or bulimic to have a problem right and so like but body dysmorphic disorder and all these kind of things, they happen in all different shapes and sizes. So we have people coming in that say, I want to lose weight. But when we peel back the layers and we really talk to them, it's so there's so much going on and it's more of like disordered eating patterns that we're seeing. Um, and, and again, the depression and things like that setting in their complete restrict binge cycle. Um, so it doesn't have to be just these like extreme disorders that we hear about. There's people walking around every day and thinking there's something wrong with me because maybe they're not anorexic or bulimic, but they didn't know that there's, there's something deeper happening too. So all shapes and sizes yeah. are affected. We call and, that the X factor. And I know you factor. probably know a lot about this too, but eat like and totally what you're talking about. Eating disorders are one thing, and then there's also disordered eating. And actually, clinically, kind of how we diagnose and kind of not to put a label on it, yeah. but work with people and kind of talk through those things. They're completely different issues. They're mm-hmm. they can be kind of intertwined, but they're really kind of different things mm-hmm. going on. So, can you elaborate on that? Yeah. So. Obviously, I'm not a physician, <laughs> but in terms of like the diagnosis of anorexia, and, and you're probably more familiar with like the DSM-5, which is kind of how we diagnose a lot of mental illnesses, um, like anorexia, you have to be in that underweight category with a BMI under 18.5. So if you are struggling with a lot of eating issues, but you're not quite at that 18.5 cutoff, you might not be considered anorexic um, and, and struggling with anorexia. Right. So. Mm-hmm. Because they just made that adjustment to, what is it, like 85% of normal expected weight? It's like Yeah, so we we now have atypical anorexia, and there are some things that we can, you know, still diagnose people with if we had to um, for certain things. But I think that you're right. I mean, we think about it. Sometimes people fear getting help because they think, well, I'm not that serious. You know, I'm I'm still, right, or I still eat, so, you know, I must not have anorexia, or I must not have any problems with my eating. Well, that's not true. You can still look healthy and be a generally healthy person but have disordered eating there's also orthorexia which I'm sure you might see up too but orthorexia defined as like you know extreme obsession with exercising and eating restrictions and all these different patterns so um, you know people come to us thinking we're the food police and we're gonna help restrict them and cut back and honestly what we do is like bring them more and say how do we balance your energy needs and how do we give you what you need to thrive 
Um, but unfortunately, with I think social media, I mean, we could talk about that for days. Yeah. Yeah, but I think whole yeah, I think our um, our social media and just our society and the diet culture just wires people's brain to think they have to do something or have to be a certain way, when everyone you know has their own needs. Yeah, yeah. I think um, especially for young people, uh, and what we try to do, like at Superfit Foods, our mission is to positively change lives. But really, what we want to do is make eating healthy cool. Because that's what we're missing in the culture that we live in. Um, because in some cultures, in third world countries, eating is is like, they don't care about looking a certain way for like a person in a magazine. They want to eat to live. And so they do it that way. And so it's like these mental illnesses like anorexia and bulimia aren't as popular in countries like that as they are here where people eat to look a certain way. And then they're not following the right guidelines to truly look that way, right? Because they think that if my friend cuts her calories and looks that way, I should do the same and then the next thing she knows or he, or he knows they're underweight or um, struggling with certain things because of an image, like we said, from, from maybe social media and stuff like that. So um, the message that would be great for people to get, I guess, from this is that like eating healthy is cool, you know, yeah. like being healthy is cool. And then the way that you look um, long term from that will eventually be like great like if you feed yourself the right stuff over time don't overindulge or don't underindulge um so how do you as, sort of as a behavioral um specialist like how do you help people manage like like what are some of the things that you walk them through to get them to stop those habits so one of the first things is to establish a regular pattern of eating and whatever that means for them i would probably work in combination with their dietitian and their doctor for what that means it's going to be different for every person but we can't do any of those other changes unless we establish a pattern of regular eat, regular eating so sometimes people will say to me well oh if i just felt less anxious about eating or if i just felt less sad during the day i'd be able to eat so can we just work on that and yeah. I say, no <laughs> we can't we have to do the other part first so i help them to figure out how they're going to be able to do the plan that their dietitian gives them and then we work on the behaviors as they go along as their brain starts getting more and more fed they're better able to do that so that's where we start okay yeah um so uh moving on to another this is a great question from one of our staff members um how can a healthy well-balanced diet help pregnant women handle hormonal imbalances brought on by pregnancy and how can it help to avoid alleviate postpartum depression is that something that you guys have ever yeah actually i we work with a lot of pregnant women, um, and Sammy has too, and, and I know you work with postpartum depression. Um, but really, the time you know during pregnancy, your energy needs are so vastly different. Um, and something kind of going to, to the last question that we were talking about, but just getting in tune with our hunger and fullness is a really great way to know what we need. Um, usually, if we're restricting something from our diet, we, we crave those foods because we're not having them, yeah. um, and that's our body's natural way of knowing what we need to be having. Um, so especially during pregnancy, I mean, your, your protein needs your calorie needs um, and you know things like folate we hear about um, there's specific nutrients that we need more of to support the health of the baby and and the mom um, so okay definitely nutrition is very important with pregnancy is there something yeah. that you see that um, women during pregnancy typically lack like is there a commonality is there something that most moms are deficient in mm -hmm. consistently yeah so I mean um, in terms of kind of the national recommendations um, fol folate is a, a vitamin that we have um, yeah a vitamin yeah um, and so we we supplement that in a lot of our grain products to make sure parents and um, the mothers are able to get that in their diet. So, I mean, we see folate deficiency sometimes. Honestly, for most of the public, we're not really deficient in nutrients because we are supplementing them in so many of our foods yeah. and fortifying them. Um, but really just making sure that you have a balanced diet. And some, some mothers I see, like if you're a vegetarian or uh, a vegan, um, sometimes reaching those protein needs during pregnancy can be a little bit difficult. Okay. Mm -hmm. I think another thing too, and again, I feel like we probably sound like a broken record, but everybody is so different. So like mm -hmm. I've had pregnant women that come in that it's the first time they're pregnant and they're, they're afraid of the weight gain, even though it's a natural part of giving, you know, birth to a child, you have to gain that weight to be able to support Av and, and the weight that they're going to gain throughout the trimesters and knowing that certain foods are not villains right because if they thought that carbs were a villain before they were pregnant it's not like okay now i'm pregnant and every food is great and i can eat every food yeah so just because someone becomes pregnant doesn't mean those kind of underlying thoughts aren't still there so so kind of going back to that and how lauren was saying being in touch with hunger and fullness cues 
Um, we love the bow and arrow as our analogy. Um, so the restriction is pulling the bow back and the binging is the arrow flying. So if we say no carbs, no carbs, no carbs, no carbs, we find ourselves in a box of pizza like days later. And, and so whether that's with a pregnant woman, with a, you know, regular everyday person, just working through like fueling your body properly for what you need, because everybody is so different. Yeah. And then the um, the postpartum depression is that uh, how do you see like nutrition as it relates to that particular issue? Well, I would say nutrition is probably one of the first things to go when women mm-hmm. have just had a baby. Um, that they are eating really quickly, just on the go. They're so stressed. I mean, they have a lot to manage. So mm-hmm. finding time to eat adequately is very difficult right after you have a baby. Um, so I see that it's extremely important for them to be able to have meals. And if they had something prepared ahead of time, that would be great. But, you know, how they, they say to me, like, well, how am I going to have time to make this food for myself? I'm busy taking care of my newborn. And of course you are, but you have to find Super the time. Fat. <laughs> <laughs> you have to find the time to get the time because you're not, if you don't take care of yourself, yeah. you are not going to be able to take care of your baby. And sometimes people forget that and they were Even from it. a nutrition coach, yeah. they're breastfeeding, right? Like if they're, you yes. know, if they're malnutrition, then that's going to potentially negatively affect the baby and then it becomes another negative cycle right because if they don't have enough and the baby's kind of taking what they have and then they're definitely not having enough and then it's it can potentially lead to deficiencies yeah, there. if you underfueled during the time that you're breastfeeding, you can actually diminish your milk supply and then you might not have enough. And that might be one of the reasons why you can't breastfeed. Wow. Um, so really, you know, not to talk about calories, because I think calories is this arbitrary thing you really love to focus on, right? Yeah. Um, but calories are energy. And if you don't have enough energy, um, your energy needs to actually increase with, with breastfeeding. So it's important okay. to think about how much you're getting. So from a practical component, um, and this might be, I know that everything, everyone's different, um, <laughs> but people love generalities, and I'm not asking her to do that, but when people become, when a woman becomes yeah. pregnant, and she says, I'm eating for two, uh, generally, what do you see as a recommendation when, when a woman becomes pregnant, how much should they double that, should they literally double their intake? Or question, yeah. Great question. So I think the American Medical Association, the AMA, um, their guidelines and and, and in relation to also working with dietitians, about an extra 250 to 500 calories or energy is really needed. Um, so really thinking about that, that could per be day. yeah per day. Yep. Um, good clarification. Yeah. <laughs> per day, not per meal. Oh, yeah. um, so so obviously per day, that could be you know just adding a little bit to each meal, um, mm-hmm. or maybe one more snack. Um, depending on how big your snack is. Yeah. Um, so really it's not like, okay, it's just giving you this, you know, amazing amount of calories so you can just eat as much as you want and, you know, just like there has to be balance. You don't want to go too over. You don't want to go too under. It's kind of the sweet spot where your hunger and fullness should really guide you right. to. Yeah. But yeah. so general answer to that question is no, you don't necessarily need to double everything that <laughs> yeah. you're eating before for two. Yeah. yeah. I would say, yeah, because yeah. 250 to 500 calories. It's like an extra really snack or meal. Yeah. 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 Depending on the person. person yeah. So that's yeah. like just adding one or two more yeah. meals. Yeah. And the trimesters differ a little bit and nutrient needs differ a little bit, but generally speaking. Yes. Yeah. What about liquids too? Yeah. With that? Because obviously when people think about pregnancy, they think, no alcohol, like maybe maybe less caffeine. Okay. Is there more of a kind of liquid, maybe Gatorades or electrolytes, or is there something that helps? Yeah, so I mean, it really depends. So things like Gatorade and Powerade, they are designed for athletes um, and with sweating and, yeah. and that kind mm-hmm. of thing, and not definitely for like, you think of the classic kid just drinking it at school every day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for, for someone who is pregnant um, and they're with like different energy needs, you know, just getting that with food, I think is more important than mm-hmm. getting it through liquids, um, especially with the prevalence of like gestational diabetes. Um, so that's pretty much like the development of diabetes and mm-hmm. um, issues with blood sugar control during pregnancy. So having things like a sugar sweet beverage like Gatorade might not be very beneficial for someone who's pregnant. So really high water intake. Yeah. And yeah. Just, just water, 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 water. water. Yeah. Staying away from sweet tea and sodas. Yeah. And, yeah. and just trying to keep with what you're normally having and, and just once again that balance is really key. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, post-pregnancy, right? So now that they're pregnant they've increased by 250 to 500 calories. Um, and then after the baby, I'm sure it's case by case, but how does that, how do you help to, um, get them tapered down or should they? And then like from the, uh, from the mental component, like how do you help them, uh, deal with that big change in their lifestyle? So so it's two questions. You guys can jump in whenever. 
So it's actually funny. Right now I have a few different types of clients kind of working through these issues, or not issues, these are good issues yeah. um, with them. But definitely those first couple months, um, especially if the, the woman is breastfeeding, the mom is breastfeeding, we don't, I don't want to change too much um, because when that milk supply is really important to me. Um, but honest, naturally, we tend to start to get back to our usual body weight and where we're comfortable at after pregnancy. Um, maybe six months or um, a year down the line, that's when I would kind of do more lifestyle interventions. But once again, it depends on the background. And so if we're thinking about mental health and you know issues with food, um, definitely kind of approaching that. And every person's different with how I would approach um, kind of their goals um, in, ter- in terms of their relationship to food. Okay. So. But with breastfeeding, that'll yeah. definitely increase their energy, energy needs versus if bottle feeding. So honestly, if someone going from increased yeah. needs during pregnancy to having the baby and breastfeeding, their energy needs aren't going to change much in that yeah. beginning, like Lauren said, to keep that milk supply coming. So, and then that's where the hunger and fullness cues kick in again. Um, you know, we're, we're primal as people. Um, so we, we have these cues, but we decide to kind of shut them off. So I always use it's kind of an embarrassing analogy for people, but like going to the bathroom, right? Like if you have to go to the bathroom, you can only hold it so long until something bad's going to happen if mm-hmm. you don't go. And so with eating as humans, we, we know we're hungry and we push it off, right? And we push it off and we push it off. We say, we'll deal with it later. And then we finally eat. And then now not, not something as bad as having to go to the bathroom in your pants will happen, right? <laughs> so you'll probably just overconsume in those instances. But so with mothers, especially it's learning to get them to listen to their hunger because now they have this new great, beautiful distraction um, that they're probably going to tend to first. So, and Eleni had kind of spoke to that already, but learning to put themselves first so they can better take care of their baby. I think most of the work that I do with them is more about managing the stress and everything that comes up with having a newborn in the home and adjusting their whole life mm-hmm. um, around that and their new family. So most of the work that I do, unless there is some sort of history of an eating disorder or disordered eating, most of the work is around managing that and the feelings that you have about being um, a new mom. But if there is a history of an eating disorder, we would focus on what that is going to mean as their body's changing and how their body is going to serve them in a different way now than it used to before they had a baby. Okay. Um, now, uh, as a... Um, Actually, you know what? I really like this question. Most people hear the word addiction and they think drugs and alcohol. Um, How big of a physical, psychological issue is food addiction or compulsive overeating? How does it begin? How can it be combated? Um, Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Well, I think our society has a lot to do with it starting at younger ages now. There's been a huge movement that I'm sure maybe some of you have seen that's they're saying hashtag watch out Weight Watchers and it's a petition against putting Weight Watchers in effect for teens. So our country is the diet culture, the $62 billion industry is trying to now target children, which is going to inherently increase the amount of eating disorders in that fact that just was shot out the other day. Yeah. Do you remember that picture you sent out? Oh, yes. You should pull that one. We have a good fact about it. I don't have it memorized. But um, unfortunately, I think it starts at a younger age now because of the culture that we live in, social media, pressures at school, those kind of things. They've always been there, but now because of how our society is trending with, with image and social media, I think it's starting at a younger age for sure. And you can kind of hop in with that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just as important um, to talk about and to seek treatment for. Uh, I mean, just like you talked about before, when someone is struggling with, you know, overeating, if they're pushing off their hunger all day long, and then they're overeating every single night, I mean, that, that's a huge issue. And it is really important to seek help for that. So, it, and how we would deal with it is the same way that we would any other issue, is figuring out how to establish a pattern of regular eating. <laughs> and what is that going to look like for them yeah. to nourish themselves? Yeah. Um, it's going to look very very different for every person. What was your fact? Yeah. <laughs> so the, the, the image says, please don't teach kids to diet. The incidence per 100,000 kids. Type 2 diabetes, 12. Eating disorders, 2,900. A child is 242 times more likely to have an eating disorder than they are to have type 2 diabetes. Wow. So when you look at where our, our country is focusing <laughs> and putting this pressure on diet and 
we we have a very skewed image of what the real problem is, yeah. I think. Because, I mean, things like type 2 diabetes and all the chronic diseases, they're absolutely important. And that's not to diminish um, the, the service that physicians and doctors, dietitians, And we work with therapists, many people with diabetes. You know, these are real issues. Um, however, a lot of them do just relate to that pattern of eating and, and really our relationship to food. Um, and that's really what it comes down to for a lot of, a lot of times. Eating disorders have the highest mortality rate of any of the other psychiatric illnesses, and I think some people don't really think about well, that, and they don't recognize how serious that is. So, I mean, that yeah, should give yeah. us a moment to think about how very important this is. And and on top of that, where do you guys see these the reservations from new clients come in of, I, I really didn't want to get help until it got to this point, or I really didn't want to get help, or I didn't want my friends to think I was, you know, something different. What, what do you... Kind of here, and what do you tell your clients when they come in? Because obviously, it's a it's a common thing. Right. I mean, we spend a lot of time in the first few sessions talking about how their eating issues have served them, and what is it doing for their life? What is it taking away from their life? What do they think their life is going to look like without it? And we spend a lot of time thinking about that. And most people leave thinking, "I think my life would be better if I let go of this." Now, the process of letting go of that is part of the work. That's why people seek professional support and help for that. Um, but that was where we would begin to think about that. Especially things like eating disorders in particular, but really any sort of addiction, it's a compensatory behavior. So it's like a coping behavior that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether that's you know counting calories as your coping behavior or or purging or whatever type of coping behavior you have, whether over it could be alcohol, over exercising, we see a lot of all of these things are just a way to cope. So as a practitioner, I never want to completely just take away that coping strategy mm-hmm. right when I'm meeting with a client. It's how can we build up there sort of like what, what you do as well. Um, and we work so closely together kind of with, with that food relationship and um, how to reduce that behavior, um, especially if it's a really dangerous behavior and, mm-hmm. and I'm really concerned for your health and your safety. So, yeah. yeah. But to, to go off of your question too, Lainey, like we have a lot of people coming to us that are unaware mm-hmm. that they have, I don't even want to call it a problem or an issue, but we would kind of place them, if we were clinically looking at them, we would place them in the disordered eating category. But to them, it's, they have no idea that they're dealing with something. They think there's something wrong with their body. They think there's something wrong with them. But when we or the food that they're yeah, <laughs> but when we get down to it, like if you ask them, do you have peace with food? Like, can you have something sit in front of you and not get visibly upset about it? So it's almost I don't want to say telling telling them or opening or shining a light on that what's going on, but saying like you are not the problem. Mm-hmm. No diet is going to fix this. This is making peace with food. And so everybody's sessions are much different because everyone has different things that are triggering these kind of patterns. Mm-hmm. But um, sometimes just shining light on that, like, it's okay to feel this way towards food, but it's never going to get better if we keep restricting, binging, gaining, trying to lose. And it's just like that cycle, that mm-hmm. unfortunate cycle that the diet culture has yeah placed on our society. And we teach a lot about intuitive eating and there's 10 different principles to it. Um, but one of them, I think it's the worst one, is reject the diet mentality. And that is, you know, get mad at the diet industry because they're perpetuating all this stuff and this is what has caused you to be at this point where you hate food so much. And instead of enjoying food and nourishing it and, mm-hmm. and having it and celebrating it because our bodies need energy, we try in our society to avoid it as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And sort of like what you were saying, like we wait till the last minute until we just can't go in, go on anymore and then we eat um, so kind of changing that dialogue is important yeah absolutely so how do we help people find balance <laughs> Ooh. many sessions it's yeah. <laughs> a very yeah loaded question as well um, I think so. We we use and shameless plug um, an app called Healthy, and so all our clients. What is it again? Uh, it's called Healthy. Healthy it's an application, and so um, as um, dietitians, we we gain access to it, and our clients are able to post their meals and their snacks. And for those struggling with eating disorders or disordered eating, it's like a non-negotiable thing where I want you to post your food so I can see what you're eating because this is something that you have to do for your health. Um, for other clients, it can be a tool. You know, think about type two diabetes, like how much mm-hmm. carbon carbohydrates or fat are we having or protein um, so kind of seeing their plate and using that as a tool to kind of educate them on on their diet um, and celebrate when they're doing really great things um, and also give some constructive feedback for um, what we could do better next time yeah I think on top of that when we work with people too we're 
it's, it's not always just from the diet mentality. Mm-hmm. It could be if it is more of the emotional aspect going through intuitive oh, eating yes. principles and um, just really really letting them know that it's okay to feel that the way that they're feeling. And then it, like we said, many, many sessions of going through why they're feeling the way that they are, why they're having the thoughts that they're having. Um, stop villainizing food, making peace with food. And these things take lots of work as, and I know you can probably expand way more than us on some of this, but so it's not as easy as just telling someone you need to eat carbs. If that were the answer, right? Like I wish it was. Like, yeah. I wish people would get like just eat them. They're so good for you. Um, but unfortunately, our brain is split in half with left and right. And on the left side, it's facts, and on the right side, it's that imagery, visual side. So unfortunately, everybody's brains have been wired that the left side they think a fact is that they can't have a carb. So if you say you can have a carb, even though you're professional and you're trained that's not registering to them. So we have to light up that right side of their brain and come up with analogies and worksheets and all these different things to really let them see what's going on inside of their body. So um, it's a lot of work, yeah. but a lot of fun Because it's handling work. like the pure science of nutrition, like mm-hmm. metabolism, all these fancy things about how we metabolize and use the nutrients in our food, um, but also that social science aspect and kind of yeah. like, okay, how do you feel when you eat this food? What happens if I was to give you this meal? How would you feel? What kind of guilt would you feel? Or what would go through your, your mind or your body when eating that or after the fact? Or what would happen after it? Like, are we compensating for that by over-exercising in the gym and, and doing cardio with a sweatshirt on and, and on the treadmill for an hour and forcing ourselves? to do something you dislike so I think finding that balance is helping people to have their control back and to have control over their thinking again because at some point it just gets off track and helping them to realize that food is essentially their medicine Um, especially people struggling with eating disorders or disordered eating food is their medicine but I think for all people and all health food is medicine and that's what's going to help them every day and I think a lot of the work that we all do together is helping them to change their thinking about it and change the way they view it and um, hope that they can establish some balance with support. Absolutely. And so when you treat people, um, we'll say primarily with um, depression and anxiety that come in, do you think the diagnosis is often more practical or psychological? For example, like, can you help people if you say you're simply missing omega-3, start eating those? Or do you spend a lot more time on the psychological side of like you are loved, mm-hmm. like you are nice and funny and smart and like you don't need to do, you know what I mean? Like is it, which one do you think you spend more time on? Um, the psychological side, simply because that is my work as a therapist. But what I want to educate people about, and I do this even when they, you know, maybe are taking medication, um, but they're not seeing a therapist. I say, well, you're only allowing yourself to get to here. Mm-hmm. And if you see a therapist and do the psychological work, then you get yourself here. Now, if you do the nutritional part and you get all the food you need, you get all the way up here. So if we're only doing one of those pieces, we're only right. eating our omega-3s, we're not seeing anyone for support, we're not going to the doctor, well, like, we're not getting there. So I want to help people get to reach their highest level, so they need all those components working together. And those three components were... So your, your diet and your exercise and your medical health, um, your psychological health, and I mean, I think their social health Absolutely. too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Social health issues yeah. too. Well, in, in terms of social health, when, when you think about groups, so if someone were to stumble on this video and they're within a social group, it's obviously always fun to go get you know mimosas on a Sunday or have mm-hmm. pizza night or wine night with your girlfriends. How can groups of people sort of start these habits with people that they care about of healthy eating, conversations about maybe unhealthy eating in a way that's more normalized and and maybe not as vilified as eating disorders have been? historically. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely seen it with certain clients and patients I've worked with that sometimes the friend group you hang out with is actually very triggering to your recovery from disorder eating or eating disorders. So if some of your friends are having some thoughts or they're really concerned about their body image appearance and it's very triggering to you, um, sometimes actually removing yourselves from those environments and trying to find other ways, um, not saying that you shouldn't hang out with your friends, um, but you know, if if your friends are not helpful to your health, then, then that's something to really think about. Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. yeah. But I think to go off of that too, and again, I know we say everybody's different, but <laughs> if it's not a full-blown eating disorder, right, and it's disordered eating patterns that we're working with, mm-hmm. I don't know about all y'all, but pizza and wine, like, love it. 
Yeah. Can we all agree here? Yeah. No? Okay, right? So it doesn't mean that it has to be removing yourself from unhealthy, like quote unquote unhealthy habits to be a healthy person. Right. So it's how we fit all of that in, um, in moderation, in balance mm-hmm. with the goals that we have. Um, but again, it totally depends, you know, eating disorder and disordered eating, there's such huge scales mm-hmm. um, and spectrums, I guess is what I'm trying to say, not a scale. So it, it depends on where someone falls for what's right for them. Yeah. We all lead by example too. I mean, yeah. I think that uh, we as professionals and in our friend groups, we will talk about these things and yeah. we show people that it's okay. And I think the more that we do that and the more people do that, the more it will, you know, continue to go out to others. So we yeah. just, we'll do that first. Yeah. <laughs> so as a, you know, obviously we've, we've talked about a bunch of issues in society. We've talked about um, dementia, Alzheimer's, um, which I'm sure some people can relate to. We've talked about depression, anxiety, bulimia, anorexia, uh, overeating. Um, we've talked about all the issues, um, but one thing that people can learn from from this show and uh, from this podcast is that uh, the solution is different for everybody. But I think to generalize it, there's three components that we've broken down and, and elaborated on a lot. One of them is psychological, right? There's psychological help. Um, if they're dealing with something there, then they should seek a professional and begin to acknowledge maybe their eating patterns are due to psychological issues. Would you agree? Potentially. Um, And then the physical component, like being active is important. That's not really what this conversation is about, but also treating their physical bodies well. So if they're dealing with psychological issues, maybe they need to see a professional or consider the fact that they're not physically treating themselves too well with the diet component. But then the big thing that I didn't really expect to talk too much about is their social component. So we've got psychological, physical, and then their social environments, which I didn't think too much about because, you know, where I'm at in my life, um, I'm in the fitness industry. All my friends go to the gym. Yeah. If you're on my staff, you're super fit, you know? And, um, and so, like, um, well, he's like, I don't know. Sometimes. Like, and pizza. Um, we're fit at one time. Um, but that social component, I think that is such a big deal. I, I think I reflect on my childhood and my upbringing, and, and so. Um, I had a fast metabolism, so I never really dealt with like being overweight or anything like that. But I could definitely say that um, a lot of the things that I've dealt with were due to the impact of my social environments, right? You know, maybe dealing with depression as a young kid was because I, I drank too much and didn't eat well, you know? And so yeah. um, I've never really reflected on that and said, well, no, no wonder maybe I didn't like my early 20s. Like, mm-hmm. I definitely wasn't getting enough protein. I was exercising way too much for my intake, and we were drinking three, four days a week, you know, in college. And so um, I think that's a, that doesn't have to be individualized. I think the social component can be generalized that if people look at their environment and say, these people are the reason why maybe I overeat or undereat or think that I should do those things or maybe potentially have depression or anxiety or at risk of later on having dementia and Alzheimer's. Um, so looking at the social environment is a really, really big deal. And I'm glad that we covered that as well. Um, so last thing, and then we'll, we'll close up. What else could our society do to influence big changes um, in, the, in the food industry to clean up what we eat? Another loaded question. And a lovely food industry. So I feel like there's like different spectrums of the food yeah. industry. And I know you worked a little bit more closely in it. Um, I worked more in like the hospital setting before this. Um, but I think making sure we're going off of science is a huge thing. And so people love to kind of like cherry pick evidence and kind of talk about like one thing. But let's take a step back. Instead of focusing on the one specific nutrient, focus on your total diet beforehand. And so I think the, the food industry likes to focus on those little nutrients and they're really enticing and it's sexy and it gets consumers to buy things. But really just focusing on the basics. Let's get back to basics. I think is a, it would be a good thing for the food industry to kind of go for. And I think it would also help people with their health more. Yeah. I think to go off of that, as a dietitian who worked in retail, consumers really don't know why they're buying a product. Like we always hear like, don't you know, judge a book by its cover and people do that with labels and packaging all the time. Something looks sexy or healthy yeah. and they grab it and they have no idea why it's in their cart. Or it says high protein on the front, so they grab it, but they don't know why they're eating high protein. Yeah. High right? Protein. So or it shouldn't have protein in it, right? Yeah. It's like a product like that shouldn't have any protein in it, like brown rice or yeah. something. I don't know if or, there's a high protein brown rice. Or yogurt with fiber. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
lot of yogurts have like high fiber and all these added fibers. So for us, what we do a lot is like walking the consumers through the supermarket and showing them like, how do you read a label? How do you feed through the BS that's on the packaging and just really know what you're putting in your body? Knowledge is power. And if we can get people to stop being tricked by that, I think that's a huge thing. Now, unfortunately, I don't think the food industry is going to stop tricking people. So maybe it's just consulting with a dietitian or someone who you trust or learning how to read labels, lear- learning how to know what is in the food that Empowering you're Empowering yourself. Yeah. Well, and the you guys, they did it. You guys did a segment on it recently, right? In the grocery store or you were, you filmed in the grocery store about reading labels. Oh yeah. Oh, we yeah. Have, so we do grocery store tours. Yeah. But, yeah. And we have a bunch of videos. Yeah. With that as well. How would someone go about scheduling that? Yeah. So if you go to our website, just www.dietitiansupalmvalley.com, you'll see all of our services on there. So you can contact us through our website um, or just call us and we can include all those links if that's easier. Um, And just to set up, we can do one-on-one grocery store tours. We do them in groups. We do them with large groups, small groups. So, um, and really personalize it. Because again, we don't want to spend... 20 minutes in the yogurt aisle if that person doesn't eat dairy, right? So it's like we want to make sure we customize everything to that person. Awesome. They need. Yeah, we'll definitely include those in there because it's, it's such a great resource. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're going to close up and what I want to do is just kind of go back around the room and have you sort of reintroduce yourself, um, explain to the audience how they can find you through your social media platforms, your website, and then um, maybe just a takeaway for, for the day or for this particular conversation about mental health. Um, so... Go ahead. Okay. Um, Eleni Shucklin. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. Um, you can find me on beachesmentalhealth.com. That's my website. But I am a therapist in private practice in Jack's Beach. And um, I see people all over the area, but most of my practice is focused on eating disorders, postpartum um, depression, anxiety, and also teens. I work a lot with young people and who may just be struggling with anxiety, body image, self-esteem. Um, so that's what the majority of my work is. And um, what was the last piece I was supposed Any to Any message you, you'd like to... Well, I think that if you are sensing that you may be struggling or that you know someone who is, I would not hesitate to get help. You can um, go to National Eating Disorders Association, that's N-E-D-A, NEDA. Um, Postpartum Support International is really great. I just want people to be talking about things more and I'm so glad that we had this conversation. Thank you for inviting me to do this. Um, Thanks for coming. It's wonderful to be able to talk with all of you about it and for other people to get this information at their fingertips. So thank you. Great, thank you. You know, ours are very similar, Similar, so we won't double up, but I'm Sammy. (laughs) And I'm Lauren. And you can get all of our information at dietitiansofpalmvalley.com. All of our social media handles are at dietitiansofpalmvalley. Um, Our website, or we already went over website, but number is 904-250-0075. Our office is located in Ponte Vedra Beach, but we do, um, with our healthy platform, um, HIPAA-compliant Skype sessions. So you could be in L.A. if you're watching this, and we can meet with you. Um, but we do everything from one-on-one coaching um, and counseling with our clients as well as grocery store tours, cooking classes. Um, and I'll do one takeaway and you can do one. But my biggest takeaway, definitely everything you just said is wonderful. If you, if you feel like you're struggling but maybe aren't clinically diagnosed, it, it's okay to reach out and to open that conversation up. And just know that dietitians are not food police. Um, our number one goal is to make peace with food. 100%. Yeah, I completely agree with everything you guys have said. Um, and then just you know, reiterating once again, if you are struggling with any of these issues, um, even if you don't feel comfortable really going to a dietitian, a therapist, a physician, um, or whoever in between, even going to a friend or a family member or someone that you really trust um, and just kind of opening up the conversation can sometimes be a great starting point. Thank you. Thank you. And um, I am the CEO of Superfit Foods. My name is Jared Graybeal. I don't know why I'm looking at the mic, but yeah. And so, if I could leave any message, it's uh, a that eating clean is cool. Um, all the cool kids are doing it, and b, um, you know, life is short, so enjoy it as much as you can. And in order to do so, you have to feed your body the right stuff. So I think kind of putting yourself first as a mother or as a teen or even as a person that's elderly or, of course, if you're dealing with somebody that's elderly with those things, just looking at um, how can you treat your body better in order to have a better life. And so um, thank you guys for watching or for listening. And uh, I don't know. What do I do? No, I think we are good to go. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Live Well, Lead Well podcast today. 
I hope that the show has served you in some way. And if you enjoyed it, please make sure to leave a comment, uh, click the button to subscribe, leave us a review, and share it with some of your friends that you think it might help. Until next time.